Well, good morning, all. Good morning. Grace and peace. Grace and peace, indeed. It's a good morning. Um, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, it's Holy Week, and so I thought um, it would be good for us to pray a Psalm of David together that Jesus also prayed on the cross. And uh, it's very familiar. If you've been around church very long, it's very familiar. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's the only part that the gospel writers actually quote Jesus praying. But one would assume that Jesus, having this psalm memorized, would have prayed through the whole thing as he was on the cross. And so I'm not going to pray through all of it, but just a couple of the movements, because what the psalm does, it goes from this, these statements of desperation to these statements of reality. Because that's what happens sometimes when we, our backs are against the wall and we're, the, we're in these desperate places. It causes us to lose perspective. And so when we're not in those desperate places, we've got to remember that so that when we are, we join David, we join Jesus in this movement from, all right, naming our desperation to naming what is most true about God and ourselves. Let's pray. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, well let's take a look at chapter 22. 2 Samuel, we're at the end. We've, we've traveled with David a long ways, and we've, we've reached the end. There is serious questions about what chapter 22, 23, 24 are in terms of the story of David. We've kind of reached the end of the narrative account with Samuel. And so we're really almost into the indexes. And so on some level, this is a little bit confusing. One of the things the biblical writers do, which I love, 
is they don't leave things out. Even if they're kind of unsure of its role, this is Holy Scripture, and so they don't want to leave things out. So I know sometimes when we're young, we imagine it's just one complete story. It was written by God, and He gave it to people. But that's not the reality. The reality is that people are recording accounts that others have had with God, or sometimes they write their own accounts that they have with God. But there's there's pieces, uh, there's sections to it that they're, they're not sure about. Uh, one of the best things uh, my education ever got was uh, studying Egyptology, uh, where we spend about two years uh, just studying basically how to be a scribe, uh, how to read uh, Egyptian, the difference between monumental Egyptian and written Egyptian, and you, you just you learn a lot. Um, and it, it's important for us to keep in mind, I'll pass this around, but this is what we were dealing with. So this is papyrus, uh, incredibly valuable, incredibly expensive, um, but not really that durable. So one of the things that has to happen, each generation, you have to rewrite these. So in order to keep the, the Scripture alive, you can't just like you know, put it in our, our books on a shelf and then just forget about it. Uh, these, this one's about maybe three years old. Um, I, I actually made it for the Gospel of Luke. So it's, it's a, the size of the Gospel of Luke. It's got the title here, the Gospel according to Luke, on the outside, and then the first line on the inside when you look at it. But one thing that you'll notice very quickly is what, what are the areas that wear out the fastest? Can you tell in, in one of these? Yeah. So even already, this is kind of given out right here which is where the title will be. And so invariably, in a lot of ancient scrolls, you don't have titles. Um, they'll take the first word, because that tends to be preserved, um, which is where a lot of our biblical books come from. Uh, so the titles tend to get lost. And then it's, it's hard to see, but inside tends to also get damaged. So it's invariably, Egyptians are worse. You never have the beginning and you never have the end. And we actually see this in Scripture too. We lose some of the ends, like the Gospel of Mark. We don't have the end of it because it broke off. Like, dang it, God tries to give us nice things and we lose it. But there is this wonderful discipline that they have to go through where each generation has to rewrite it. And you might think there would be a temptation for them to... Uh, fix it, change it, make it more modern. Or they, they really do not do that. I mean, we've the Dead Sea Scrolls kind of proved that forever for us. They're not changing it. Uh, they're leaving it. Now, sometimes they may add a comment. And again, uh, studying Egyptian really helped. Um, we looked at an Egyptian scroll where they were writing it out, and then a scribe wrote in the margin... Uh, it was a religious text, and they wrote the margin, uh, who is Ra? Well, they were wondering, you know, in the text they were reading who, who the sun god was at this moment. And then we see one from several centuries later, and what they did is they wrote out what happened before, and then they took the thing in the margin, and they put it in the text. 
because they don't want to leave stuff out. And we see this in Scripture. You'll see it especially with names and places. If they don't understand what they are, somebody probably wrote in the margin, where is this? And so you'll have, we call it parenthetical comments. They put them in there. In a sense, that's what we're dealing with here, that this psalm was part of this at some point. And so instead of just putting it off in the psalms or trying to... uh, make another book, what they're trying to do is preserve it. So you have to be a little careful here that this isn't just like we would write a story and now we've got this psalm in it. That it's, it's probably an addendum. It's probably something that was, was there and they didn't want to lose it. Now to be fair, I think God has... A reason for it, and we need to to ponder that for a minute. Steve does a really good job of always bringing the Psalms to our attention, but what are they? What what is a Psalm? Yeah, it's a that's actually perfect. It's it's a prayer song. Um, they they were meant to be be sung. Uh, sometimes with instruments, sometimes with chants. Um, is it a biography? Well, sometimes it is. I mean, like what we read today, I mean, there, there was some, some real struggle there. Um, I think it's a little, it's a little uh, prettier than maybe David's reality. Yes. So if we walked right down the hall and we went and got uh, one of the old hymnals and we opened those up and we started reading the hymns, what is that? Is that biography? Not really. I mean, there's a little, there's a little bit. There's, there's that person's story comes through, but it's, it's a prayer. Um, to get really technical, it's called a prospective case. It's a hoped-for future. It's a hoped-for reality. It may not necessarily be what you are, but to what you want to be. And so with, with David, and I think this is maybe why God puts this in here, right? You've got the real story, or the narrative story, and now you've got who he wants to be. So if I hold you up to God's light right now, what am I going to see inside of you? I'm going to see your real history, your real story, who you are when you're stressed and mad and pushed in a corner. But I'm also going to see who you want to be, who you can be, who you have been, who God can help you be. I mean, it's this this kind of whirlwind of the two things. So really... Always, I think, view the Psalms as a little bit different than just the histories that we have in other places. Uh, the, the Psalm is physical therapy for your soul. Um, it's, it's who you, you really are, who you can be, who you want to be. Um, this, this perspective case that I'm talking about being highly uh, grammatical, 
Again, I think it's a similarity that the Egyptians share with the Hebrews. Um, And this is both a strength and a change. So Egyptians believed that when you wrote things, it was for eternity. So that's why they do things a little bit different in monuments than they do with the papyrus, because they do intend that to last forever. Are you ever going to share, and I hate my wife for all eternity? I mean, unless you really, really hate her, <laughs> you're, you're not going to do it. You're, you're going to say, my wife was beautiful and glorious for all of my life. Um, if you listen to Egyptian records, they never lost a battle. All women were beautiful. All meals were good. All judgments went the way the people wanted to. And again, it's this perspective case. It's a wished for who I really, really want to be. So part of Psalms, you have that going on. This is who I want to be. But with God's help, and I think some of the reality, you you have a little push to that. I mean, we just read, I'm a worm. <laughs> An Egyptian would never say, I'm a worm. You know, they're the greatest, glorious people. So it's this combination of literary forms, but it's also changing a little bit. I know that's kind of a long-winded intro, but it's it's God trying to get down into the nitty-gritty with us. Um, David is not just lying here. This is what he wants to be, who he struggles to be. And maybe at the end now, after two books of this, we can see with all of David's mistakes and struggles and bloodshed, God has shaped this man on the inside. He wouldn't be who he is at the end of this unless he had fought Goliath and dealt with Bathsheba and lost his son and failed with Joab. It did have a way of of creating something different. Um, I can't say that David invented the Psalms, but I can say he brought them into the life of his people in a way that they never left, that still today we, we echo today. So we've seen kind of the worst of David. Now we're going to see some of the best of David. So where do we want to pick up? Verse 4? Four. 4, yep. I will call on the Lord who is worthy of praise, for he saves me from my enemies. Did David always call on God? No. But he wants to. He's learned to. The only salvation from his enemies is when he calls on the Lord. This is, I think, a lot of wisdom at the end of your days. And who are, who are David's enemies? Everybody. That's right. <laughs> he's, he's, got, he's got a few. I wonder if he's... Uh, not kind of aware that he's his own enemy at some point. The waves of death surround me. The floods of destruction sweep over me. This is uh, the third kind of water. If we talked about it, if you remember on Sunday, Hebrews have three types of water. Living water, dead water, or cistern water, 
and then Yam, the ocean. And this is what he's talking about here. Um, death is almost a god in, in Hebrew thinking. Uh, it's, it's met or mut. Um, it's a, almost like the angel of death kind of notion. But it's often personified as the ocean. And so you really have that here. You know, this huge, dark, uh, saltwater death. Um, it's, it's like the beginning of the world. It's the chaos. Um, and David's been there, right? How many times has he, thank you, been uh, on, on the edge of death? that he seems to just be overwhelmed. The grave, and again, they're still using this almost as a god. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death itself stared me in the face. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I called to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry reached his ears. Did David actually ever do this? <laughs> Very little. This is who David wants to be. You guys know I, I, I love some ancient writings. Whatever I can read that's ancient is, is good. Uh, people ask me all the time, uh, what, what good book have you read lately? <laughs> and I'm thinking, hmm, well, there was, there was a great chapter in the Talmud that was written about 300 B.C. that was really enjoyable. But it's, it's hard to have a water cooler conversation with stuff like that. But one of the things that the Talmud does is record debates between rabbis about scriptural interpretation. And these debates, I love them, because it's just like the discussions we're having, um, but they're thousands of years old. And they really, in the Talmud, have a hard time figuring out David, just like we've done. And there's one group that says, you know what, David is a hero. No matter what he did, it doesn't matter. You can't say that he sinned. In fact, they go so far as to say it is a sin to say that David sinned. Now, is that true? It's nonsense. And the rest of the rabbis come along and say, look, the point of all this is not to make David a hero. David is not our God. He's not a superhero. David was who he was. The point of all this is to look at what God did in the life of this very inconsistent man. If you want to find a hero in this story, it's God. It's not David. David is sort of an object lesson in how consistent God can be with us when we're crazy, when we're good, when we're brave, when we're a coward. And so what these Psalms do is praise God. God is the one that has been faithful. God is the one that doesn't give up. Uh, so for all of David's faults, he's still in that place. I, and I would add, I got myself into, but I was being flooded with death. I was pulled down to the grave. I was in trouble. 
but God delivered me. That's right. So that's right. Yeah. So what would the rabbis say about uh, that? The, the, that that school rabbis say about Second Samuel twelve when. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. (laughs) Right? That's funny. So verse 8, Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundation of heaven shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostril. Fierce flames leapt from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty um, cherubim, he flew soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dense rain clouds. A great brightness shone before him. A bolt of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered, thundered from heaven. The Most High gave a mighty shout. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. His lightning flashed and they were confused. That it, then at the command of the Lord and the blast of his breath, the bottom of the sea could not or could be seen, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. Now this is a side of God that uh, I don't think we talk about enough, but they're describing in David is the best of his ability. Um, that God is is pretty tough here. He's when he gets gets powerful when he gets going. There is there is nothing uh, to to stand in his his way. That you know the earth shakes. Um, Steve's done a good job of reminding us. You know biblically, every time there's an earthquake, it's it's a major change in human history. Uh, Israel is along a major fault line. One of the, the the reasons that the Jordan River is so unusable for Israel is because it's right in that fault line. And so it's so deep uh, when you get there. In ancient times, before they dammed it, the Jordan River was incredibly fast moving because you're doing this fault line from a, a high area at Mount Hermon way down into one of the lowest places on the earth. So the water just goes down. Uh, they they couldn't do anything. Um, I always joke that Israel is or ancient Israel were terrible architects because everything they built fell down. Um, but part of that is because they have earthquakes all the time, so uh, it's it's hard to build uh, when you have earthquakes. But um, this this biggest, most massive thing that they could imagine of God. Um, and yet he's he's bigger than that. Um, this this feels this section of the psalm feels very Exodus y to me. I don't know if y'all noticed that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but remember when God is having his conversation with Moses, um, he says something along the I, I, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. Remember the next thing? So God sees this. And then what does God do? I have come down to deliver them. So notice that's what David sees there. He parted the heavens and came down. Right? So it's like God does not remain. This is huge. 
This is for, for, for Moses, for David, to come to this realization about how God interacts with them and interacts in human history. For, for the gods to come down is a big deal, right, Kurt? For sure. I mean, and like, for a person in trouble, it's yeah. un, unheard of. Right. So, so, and then you, know, you notice how uh, the valley, uh, the, uh, mm, uh, the valley, Valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare. That feels very Red Sea-ish to me. And so it seems to me that David may be doing more than just his experience, but also talking about the shared experience of his people and how God comes down to interact with their difficult, challenging, and broken lives. So is this not early, or is this I was here? Yes. <laughs> Probably both. Yeah. So I get over technical here. This is very close to what Ezekiel sees, which is centuries from now. The whole notion of God being above the cherubim, the glowing coals, there there really does seem to be some visual image that he's he's seen. Um, that's repeated by Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel gives us more details when he does it. So, either he saw it, or this was some kind of image that they perceived of God. Um, This isn't just typical God kind of talk. You know, there's lots of elements here where uh, the, the storm clouds and all of that, um, and we talked about it a little bit, but so it's dry land farming. All of the rain comes from the Mediterranean, and the way that they would uh, know the rains were coming is they would look out in the ocean and you would see the dark clouds coming. Well, the, the, the pagans, the Canaanites, said that's where their god Baal he, he's the thunder rider. He rides the clouds and he brings the rain. You know, he's the one that originally threw the lightning bolts. So you see the, the Hebrew writers saying, no, that's not Baal. That's God. And God's not coming to throw lightning bolts at somebody because he's angry. God in all of his power and his might, look at verse 17. He's doing all of this because he reaches down from heaven, he rescues me. That's right. Wow. That's, you know, as much as this sort of fits into some other pagan Egyptian or Canaanite molds, that doesn't. Gods do not care about people unless they're punishing them or getting something from them. Um, so David's not a saying, hey, God's kick butt. He's powerful. He can, again, overcoming the ocean is like killing the dragon Tiamat at creation. He overcomes chaos. So he is overcoming the evil of the world. Like Steve said, you know, it's parting the Red Sea. It's pushing the evil back. And he's doing all of that for David or for us as, as we read this. And again, how as much blood as David has on his hands... How can he how can he say this? How can he want for this? This, as hard as it is, I think is the heart we've been looking for. This is the heart of God that David is is able to capture. 
He understands that God is powerful, and He comes to us when we particularly need need Him. So if you turn over 17, He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of the deep waters. And thank you yesterday for remembering that, Tom. Where, what's the deep waters? Is where evil lives. Yeah. To home is the word they say in Hebrew. If uh, you look down there and it's so dark. And for me, it's always the Jaws moment, right? When I was a kid, I watched that movie and that shark came out of the deep dark and just scared the. I remember taking a bath that night thinking, can he get up through the drain? <laughs> So that, that's to home in Hebrew. Can the shark get up the drain? And uh, as much as I worry about Jaws, David wants us to remember God is bigger than the monster in the ocean, is bigger than that e- evil that we know is out there and we're afraid is, is approaching us. You just, you know, I always have to talk about the book of Revelation, but just to note the connections and how consistent the images are throughout Scripture, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, there is a sea. There is this, this, uh, the sea that is there, that is present, and it is like calm as glass. That's kind of like, oh, flowery image. Of, no, in the presence of God, the enemy is stilled. At the end of the book of Revelation, you know where the water is? It's gone. And it's almost like an aside. And there is was no more sea. It's gone. And so as 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 the reality of the new heaven continues to back into our present, this future backs into our present, that this evil that we have to deal with constantly, it is being eliminated. Wow. As a result of the resurrection of Jesus. Now that's an Easter we're celebrating. Yep. So what's the only water in heaven? The river. Yeah. Coming from the throne of God. Uh, that it's, it's living water. That's right. It's not sea, yam water. That's not the demon. He delivered me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was weakest, but the Lord upheld me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because He delights in me. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He compensated me because of my innocence. (laughs) What? <laughs> you know, Steve and I were having that conversation. Is this pre-Bashiba or post-Bashiba? Um, again, this is not biography. This is what what I want, who I want to be, who I strive to be. And one of the the big challenges, I think, and we speak for Steve, but huge challenges we feel right now in in the world is that we Christians know a lot of stuff up here, or we sometimes feel a lot of stuff in our hearts, but it's not coming out. It's not going to our hands. It's not becoming action. And, and that's hurting the world. You know, hopefully for, for a church, we want to get to a place where 
where that's happening all the time. We think the right things, we feel the right things, and then we do the right things. Because our world is, is getting twisted and, and turned. I don't want you to be like David. I want you to, to hear these words that David is, is thinking in his heart and his mind. And then always remember the story, how hard he struggled to do these things. It sort of falls to us to not be like him, to make that final connection of the circuit, that final push that, you know, my innocence shouldn't just be something buried deep inside me. It should be my reality. Man, if God can still love David after all that he did, guys, you're, you're golden. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to be fine. Um, but let's let's make it a reality. Let's let's let the Psalms be uh, true for us. Twenty one's hard for me. Well, I, I should say God really did provide a place of safety for him. God delights in me. So again, this is all what God is feeling. Um, the Lord rewarded me for doing right. <sighs> I don't think that's true. He compensated me because of my innocence. Ugh. Okay. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. It's a prayer. It's this perspective. It's what you want to be. Um, maybe not what you are. We're, we're going to run out of time. Do we have questions? That's good. This is obviously not the end of the story. Jesus is much needed in all of this. Um, so I think a way to, to, to kind of, like as we've gone through, I guess starting verse 4 and we've gotten through verse 22, like to ponder and to consider what part of this psalm most touched you this morning. And if Pastor Kurt is right, that this is not, part, part of it is certainly a present reality for David, but part of it is also vision for the future, right? So what part of the psalm kind of touched you? I want to be, it's like my deepest desire is to be more like that. That I think the conversation goes, God, how do we get there? How, how do I, how, how can I trust you more? How can I trust your coming down more to get us there? And so it's this act of cooperation with the presence of God to lead us to those places that we want to be. Next step. One of the things that we also noticed about David through those hard moments of his life is that he was isolating himself from others. Right? Yep. He wasn't asking those questions of the priest that were right there and, and the other people in his life. And so those places that are, you're touched by in the psalm that you and God want to get there, tell somebody else about it so that they can encourage you along the way as well. This is how 
we work and move together in community. It's hard to do it by ourselves. Crazy thought, but one of the most incredible gifts you could ever leave your kids would be to write a song. Now your story would be different, but imagine your great-grandkids saying this was the psalm of my great-granddad. You've had journeys. You've made mistakes. But God's been there, hasn't He? Isn't that a story worth telling? It's good. Now, I'm all talk. I'm not writing psalms for my son either. But it's, man... I hope it's something I could do and not be just totally stupid, you know, um, at the end. But um, as much as we pick on David, he was trying to to leave something that was the best of him. And it worked. I mean, still, uh, how much of all the Bible are the Psalms read more than, than any other? Um, and he didn't write them all, but he certainly started this trend. So... Anyway, but let's pray. Father, our God, we do praise you today. For you are good. You alone are good. And yet you call us not just to be good, but to be holy. Help us today as we head out into work, into life, to know that we are your chosen. Just as you turned heaven upside down to come help David after he'd gotten himself in yet another mess, so too will you do the same for us. That you do delight in us. You do fight for us. You do strive to bring the best out of us. So help us, O Lord, to walk in those places in our hearts again. To remember who we were when we were first touched by you who we want to be in the eyes of our kids, who we want to be at the end of our days. Help us to truly know that you are the constant good. You are the love that will not give up on us. Teach us to lean on that, especially when it's hard. Help us to remember the words of David, that the the sea will rise and it will will get just to our, our mouth, just to our nose. And we'll think all is lost. But it's not. You will come to us, even after our most horrendous mistake. And if we're willing, forgive us. Lift us back up and give us another chance to get it right. Help us to get it right. In your Son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Just reminder, a couple of things as y'all get ready to leave. Uh, our chapel is open uh, at noon, uh, from noon to one, uh, for our Holy Week prayer, self-guided prayer. Thursday night at seven o'clock, we'll be having our Monday, Thursday, Tenebrae service. If you've never participated in a service like that, uh, you need to come. I encourage you to be a part of that. Then Saturday morning at 11 o'clock at Pioneer Park, big party. Bring your kids, bring your grandkids, lots of good pork that Kurt's going to cook, right? <laughs> Got several people in the church that are cooking pulled pork. And uh, and bring your kids, grandkids. It's going to be a great morning. Then we'll see you all on Easter Sunday. It's going to be a great day. We've got some duck races.
Yep. I'm paying 10 to 1 on the ducks. So you can make a little, little scratch uh, right over here. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a great day. <laughs> great day. Yeah. Am I going to bring my what? <laughs> no, no, that's next year. Next year we'll have the cockfights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Wednesday's normal. Wednesday's normal. Yes, indeed. Yep.